We're glad to be sharing the ministry of Redemption Church with you. Now join us as we receive the Word of God. Welcome to everybody online. Hey guys, we are Redemption Church in Plano, Texas. My name is Chris Flute, and I'm always excited to be with you, and today is no different. What's the name of our series, guys? It's called... Nobody left out. That's it. Y'all did it. We're in the fifth week of our sermon series. We're inviting you to read along in our 40-day devotional uh, with the same title by author Michael Murray. It's available wherever fine books are sold. It's on, on, on Facebook. It's, on, it's even on Audible. Like, like you can find the audio version of this. It's everywhere. It's everywhere. Go, go check it out. And hopefully you have the copy that we've given you and that you are going through it with it. Uh, tonight, I want to talk to you about the sick and the dead. Everybody, they say the sick and the dead. This story tonight is really two stories intersecting, two stories in one. It's a two for one. So I'm going to preach twice as long, Kathy. Welcome. Just kidding, Kathy. Kidding, kidding. Life comes at us really fast sometimes. In fact, uh, we have a way of scheduling one thing only to turn around and life is jamming in another unscheduled meeting and unscheduled clients. It's like it just happens. You have this little to-do list sometimes. And it's like, oh, right, I can knock out these four things, and it's going to be a great day. And something will happen at the beginning of your day, and it's just like, well, I'm not getting to any of that. Life is like that, and our story tonight is a little bit like that. Maybe it'll make you feel good to know this. Jesus had those kind of days. Even Jesus had one of those kind of days where life just like just throws down on your schedule. We're going to be reading Mark chapter 5 verse 21. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Verse 22. Then one of the synagogue leaders, say synagogue leaders, named Jairus, say Jairus, named Jairus came. And when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying. Please come put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. Verse 24, so Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. We're going to stop right here in the story, kind of break this down a little bit. So we have a synagogue leader named Jairus. All right, so he was not a Pharisee or a Sanhedrin member that was hyper-focused on his own righteousness, but Jairus was still considered an important religious leader. A synagogue. What is a synagogue? A synagogue is a congregation or meeting of Jews, or synagogue sometimes referred to to the building where they would meet. It ought to remind you of what word in the English language? The word church. It's a lot like how we use the word church to describe a group of Christian believers, but sometimes we use it to describe the building where religious believers meet. So synagogue is like the Jewish version of church. You, you don't have to drive too far in Plano to run into a synagogue. There's several in our, our town right here. The leader or ruler of the synagogue was the man chosen 
to care for the physical arrangements of the synagogue building and services. So Jairus is considered a leader of the Jewish community. And today, Jairus was approaching who? Jesus. Why was this respected Israelite approaching Jesus? Why was it that he was so willing to fall down on his hands and knees before the Lord? Verse 23 tells us, he pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. Jairus had a daughter who was dying. So he approached the man who he believed could heal her. Good news. There's good news here. What's the news? Number one, Jairus was able to reach Jesus. And Jesus agreed to go to Jairus' house. All that happened, right? That is really, really good news. I imagine he was panic-stricken. And when he heard Jesus say, all right, we're going to go, I imagine that he was really happy about that. Nod if you agree with me. Yeah. All right, good, good, good. Uh, we have heard enough Jesus stories where we could maybe guess what would happen, right? You've read enough Jesus stories to kind of go, oh, yeah, I know over the next few verses, Jesus is going to heal this little girl, and everybody is going to be shocked and amazed and wonder amongst themselves, who is this man who has done this mighty thing, right? How many have read a story like that about Jesus in the New Testament? It's everywhere. It's everywhere. In fact, we would be shocked. We would be blown away. Our mouths would drop to the floor in disbelief if that didn't happen. Correct? Verse 25. And a woman who was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. Verse 26, she had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. Verse 28, because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. So what's happening here? This isn't Jairus. What's going on here? This isn't Jairus' daughter. Where is Jairus and his sick little girl? In the middle of a story, another story appears. Do you see this? While Jesus is going with Jairus, another person comes to Jesus in need. So now we have the, the dying little girl. Now we have the sick woman. So we have a sick woman. Everyone said a sick woman. How long has she been sick? For 12 years, this woman had been subject to bleeding. She had a terrible sickness. For 12 years, she had sought a cure from many doctors. The scripture said that she had spent all that she had. That's her money, money. She has been spending all her money trying to get better. For 12 years, she did not get better but only grew, help me, worse. For 12 years, she had only faced disappointment. Somebody say disappointment. Am I preaching to anybody today that knows a little something, something about disappointment? Sometimes Christians could put on a happy face. Can you, 
can you take off a happy face, be real, be authentic, be genuine for a moment and say, yeah, pastor, I know about disappointment. Can I tell you, Christians face disappointment. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Have you spent years trying to get better only to get worse? I'm telling you, that is disappointing. Have you prayed but not received the answer you wanted? Anybody? Yeah, that is disappointing. Have you worked hard only to see things that you've tried to build just fall apart like sandcastles when the water comes in? Anybody relate to that? I've tried so hard and the thing just fell apart. The business fell apart. The marriage fell apart. The dream I had, it all fell apart. Anybody relate to that? I'm telling you, that is disappointing. Our hearts go out to Uvalde, Texas, where 19 students and two teachers were killed and 18 others were wounded. I am so disappointed by that news. My heart is troubled by that evil news. I cannot understand the depth of the heartache these families are feeling. And you know what? It all makes us wonder. It makes us wonder why, how. And after every school shooting, our culture asks the same question. I've almost gotten tired of the questions that we ask after a school shooting. Why can't we find the answer to this problem? If you've been near a Facebook page or Twitter, if you've been near the evening news, if you've been near the talking heads on the radio, if you've been anywhere, you have heard that over and over again. Why can't we find the answer? We have a problem. We've identified the problem. Why can't we identify the answer? I'm telling you, for 12 years, this sick woman felt just like that. Why can't I find the answer to my problem? She looked everywhere. Somebody says, well, have you tried Dr. So-and-so? And she says, all right, I'm going to do that. Well, have you tried Dr. Feelgood? All right, I'll try Dr. Feel. Have you tried the soul doctor? Dr. Soul is in. She tried all of those doctors. Anybody? No, nobody knows. Y'all are too good of Christians for me. She tried over and over to find an answer to her problem. In our devotional this week, Michael Murray told the story, a strange story, a shocking story. If you read it, you probably won't say, what? When you read these words, he told the story where a pastor once said, and I quote, there was a time in my life when I was one miracle away from being an atheist. Did anybody read that this week? There was a time in my life where I was one miracle away from being an atheist. The pastor in this story had a son who was born with a sickness. And although they prayed, although they believed, Although they looked into the word of God and saw God was a healer. Although they saw all the promises of God and knew they are yes and amen and they are true and we're going to stand on them. Although they did every bit of that, their son was not improving. It was in this disappointment that he made the claim. I'll say it again. 
I was one miracle away from being an atheist. In other words, the pastor was tired of seeing miracles happen for others. Answered prayer for others. But somehow it always seemed to pass over his family and his little boy. Maybe the woman with the issue of blood in Mark chapter 5 who was sick for 12 years. Maybe she felt just like that. If I just see the Lord do one thing for someone else and not for me, I'm just going to stop believing in him. That's a really strange thing to say. Because how can you stop believing in a God who does a miracle over there? I'll tell you how you stop believing. Disappointment. That's how you stop believing. Disappointment will take away your faith. Disappointment will drag you down. Proverbs chapter 13 verse 12. This is a proverb to know. Here it is. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. But a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. Hope deferred. Say it a little different. Hope postponed. An answer delayed. It is so disappointing that it can make your heart what? Sick. Maybe I'm preaching to somebody today. You would be honest enough to say, yeah, I think that might be me. My heart is sick over waiting for hope to show up. But what's the second half of that verse? Look at that. But a longing, go, no, go, go back to Proverbs here. But a longing fulfilled, a dream accomplished, say it like that. What is that? That is a tree of Life. I've felt this way before. I, I've told the Lord every once in a while, I come back to this place, a little circle around, cycle of life. I come back to this place more than once. Here it is. I, I tell the Lord, I just need a win. Can I just get a win? Just a win. Anybody relate to that? Is that too threadbare, honest, and transparent with you? Sometimes, Lord, I just need a win. I need to go try to do something and it actually works. I need to go say something to somebody and it actually takes a root in their heart. I just need to see a baptism. I just need to see somebody connect with God. Can I tell you, that's a win for me. And there's sometimes I'm just like, God, I need to see it. Help me see it. I need a success. I, I, I know that I have hope in heaven. We know, I'm not saying I've lost hope in heaven, Leslie. I still know that I have a hope in heaven. But right now, here on earth, God, I need a win. Somebody say, I need a win. Okay, now, let me, let me help you a little bit. I have never said that to God. And he go, humph, I am so disappointed in you. No, God's cool with that. God wants you to want to see a win. God wants you to want to see a victory. He wants you to be just like that. You may not realize this, but some of you in this very room have been an answer to those prayers. God brought people into my life like you in this room, and I'm privileged to see the power of God work in your life and it has become a tree of life for me. Jeff, you're a tree of life for me. Watching all that you've gone through, 
and you have been absolutely faithful to the house of God. You're a tree of life for me. I love you. I absolutely love you. Oh, man, Charles, Charles Craig, I wish he was here. But he doesn't even, he says this all the time. I met Charles Craig in my alley. And he said, I have a rare form of cancer that I'm worried about. Just, just have cancer. If, if you could just say a prayer for me. And he was expecting me to go, oh, Charles, I'll definitely pray for you. And what did I say? Anybody know what I said? It's my favorite thing. I said, well, let's pray right now. So we just prayed in that alley right then, and God moved in his heart right then, and we have victory over that cancer. And Charles is so wonderful to me. He says, oh, pastor, if, if you hadn't moved in next door to me, and I'm like, you hush, sir, with great respect. You hush, because you, you are a life, a tree of life for me. Your story and your commitment and how you just went along with a crazy guy praying in the alley with you, it gives me such hope. There's a tree of life in here. Of course, Jesus is our tree of life. But can I tell you, seeing you get closer to Jesus, it gets me so pumped up. It's a win for me. It's a victory for me. Your victory is my victory. So let's go have victory together, baby. Let's go do it. What do you say? This woman who had seen her hope deferred for how many years? Twelve years. She heard about Jesus. She heard about Jesus. She heard about Jesus and said, one day, when it's convenient, I'm going to... No, no. She heard about Jesus and then she heard... He's where now? He's in the city? He's in that crowd? Oh, man, I'll just come back later when there aren't so many people around there. No. Y'all know that she presses right through that crowd. Why? Why? It told us, verse 28, because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. This is one of those thoughts that you don't just tell everybody. You tell some people that, they'll look at you and say, girl, you crazy. There are people just like that. Some of you, you say, I just believe if I just will do this, God, and they'll look at you like, oh, you're one of those people, right? Those people are everywhere. You don't just tell everybody that. I imagine she didn't tell anybody beforehand this part of the story, right? But I want to point this out to you. Look at this. Put this on the screen. Often, miracles start with a thought. Who wants a miracle today? Can I suggest to you that the miracle might not start with some angel swirling around, dancing, invisible angels dancing. I don't know what angels are doing. I don't know. Maybe the miracle starts right here, put your hand on your head for a moment. Put your hand. Pray this, God, help me to think right. Help me to think glorifying thoughts. A miracle starts with how I think, Lord, so change my mind right now. Work in my thoughts, God, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Thank you so much. Now realize this. Realize this. 
There is no place in Scripture where anyone else touches the clothes of Jesus and they are healed. I challenge you, go ahead and read it. Nowhere in Scripture does somebody go, I touched the clothes of Jesus and healed. This is the only place. There is no place in the Old Testament where somebody reaches out and touches the clothes of a prophet and they're like, oh, that's it. I feel so much better. That does not happen. It never happened ever before this moment. This was unheard of. This was irrational. This was dangerous. Somebody might say, this is dangerous. You're outside of the scope of Scripture, brother. How could you believe such a thing? It's, it's all these things. Go ahead and nod because I'm right on this. This is, whoa, this is edgy. What are you doing here, lady? But we have a simple word for this kind of thing. It's called faith. That's what she did in her mind. She had faith. Even though I never heard it happen before, she had faith. Even though she never seen it happen before, she had faith. She had a thought in her head. And when she moved to it, fulfill that thought, it was faith. She had been disappointed so many times, but faith caused her to try again. Somebody grab a hold of that. Try again. Get your thinking right. Get your faith and go try again. By faith, she tries something brand new. Elijah didn't even do this. Moses didn't even do this. Peter didn't even do this. St. Paul didn't even do this. But this lady did. And all she had was a thought and faith. And it happened. My She tries something that no one counseled her. She pushes through a crowd and she reaches out to Jesus. Verse 29, immediately, her bleeding stopped. She felt in her body that she was free from her suffering. She had 12 years of disappointment. But after touching Jesus, she was immediately, miraculously free from her suffering. After she touches Jesus, she has to tell this story in the past tense. It's not going to reach a 13th year. It's not going to put her in a grave. Because she had a thought. She had faith. She pushed through the crowd. She touched the Lord Jesus. Can I tell you your disappointment is no match? For Jesus Christ. But the story goes on, doesn't it? Verse 30. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. That's really neat to think about. Just feel, what if you as a Christian, as a Christ follower, could have power living in you and you could actually feel it working, moving out of you? That's that's some wild stuff. Oh, that'd be amazing. 
he realized that power had gone out from him. So he turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? Yes. Verse 31. You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered. And yet you asked, you can ask, who touched me? Verse 32. But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. If I, I love to just think about this picture right here. Like they're in this crowd. Everybody's been touching Jesus this entire time. But somebody really touches him. And the power of God becomes active. And Jesus said, who touched me? Who touched my clothes? And everyone's like, what even are you talking about Jesus? Jesus stops everything. Now remember, what is he doing? He's on his way to Jairus' house to heal his little girl. And, and now all of this happened. And it, 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 Jesus makes a big deal over who touched me. And the sick woman was also considered unclean. Everyone say unclean. And she had actually crossed a line. Everybody say line. See, there were these cultural and religious lines that were not to be crossed. They are rules. Everyone say rules. Because of her bleeding, she was to be outside the city. She wasn't even supposed to be inside the city. The, the unclean are supposed to be outside of the city. She was certainly not supposed to be inside the city and on the inside of a crowd of people. And when Jesus asked her, who touched me? The woman must have been scared and probably thought she was in trouble because she crossed over a line. She had crossed a line and she knew it. And, whoa-oh, Jesus knew it. What's going to happen? What's going to happen? Oh, if she had touched a Pharisee, may have. Who knows what they might have done, right? She would have touched one of them. If it would have, if it would have been a, a, suddenly apparent to that entire crowd that everyone in that crowd is now unclean, they all have to leave town and go get ceremonially clean. They would have not been so happy at this woman. Her life very much could have been in danger. But know this. Know this about our Jesus. He never rebukes someone for touching him. He never rebukes someone for reaching out to him. He never rebukes somebody crossing over a line to reach out to him. Verse 33. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her. What happened to her? She was healed. That's what happened. She came and fell at his feet, trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter. He said what? He said to her, what? Daughter. He called her daughter. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. When the unclean touch Jesus, they become, they become clean. Y'all help me. When the bound touch Jesus, they become, they become free. Yeah. When you touch Jesus, one tells you, your touch does not affect him. You're, if you've got sin in your life, when you touch Jesus, it doesn't make Jesus a sinner. No, it makes you forgiven when you touch him. And when you touch him, it affects you. 
it changes you. I want to tell you, you can touch Jesus today, and there is no line that can keep you from touching him today. Do you think there is a line that is between you and God that is keeping you from touching the Lord? Do you think that there is something you did in your past, and that's your line? Oh, because I did this thing in my past, I can't go back to church. I can't stand it. I've heard that so many times in my life. Oh, you don't understand. I've got this issue in my life. Once I clean up this issue, once I get things right, once I get past my addiction, once I get better, once I get past my anger and my cursing, it would be so terrible if I throwed up to church and I was cussing at people. Oh, my God. Once I clean all that up, then I'll go to church. Who's heard it? Guess what? You never see that person. Hmm. There's this line that they perceive there, and they think it keeps them from knowing the Lord. Do you think that God's ability to use you, God's ability to bless you, is somehow hampered by a line? And he's like, oh, I so badly want to use. Oh, they're just beyond that line. My arm's not long enough to reach them. My power is not great enough to redeem them. Does anybody think that line exists? That line does not exist anywhere but. Now wait, she had a thought and it turned into faith. I'm telling you, you can have a thought and it turns into the antithesis of faith. It can turn into fear and you can let that thing keep you from God forever. You can let that thought turn into a line. Here is what Jesus thinks about your line. Jesus looks at the woman and he calls her daughter. We are unaware of her family situation. But we see Jesus invite her into his family. Jesus turns the sick woman into a healed daughter. The woman reached past her line. And Jesus reaches right back. Verse 35. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? A miracle is followed by bad news. That happens sometimes. What is Jairus feeling right now? Think about that, right? It is hard to see, it's hard to picture Jairus celebrating the sick woman's healing. Right? He might be actually blaming the woman's unscheduled appearance for his daughter's death. We were on our way and she had touched his clothes and then he was like, who touched my clothes? And during this whole thing, my daughter died. Let's talk about the dead girl. Everybody say the dead girl. Could Jairus relate to the pastor who said I was one miracle away from being an atheist? Your daughter is dead. I bother teacher. For Jairus, he had to face losing his daughter. I want to tell you we all have to face something. You've got the dead fill in the blank. What's your fill in the blank? Maybe it's you've got a dead dream. I, I dreamed, dreamt this would happen. I dreamt I would be this. I dreamt I would do these things. Maybe it's a dead relationship that you're having to face. Your relationship is dead. 
You don't even know what to do with it anymore. Do you even honor this relationship? Or you, did you just bury it forever? Do you remove every picture off your Facebook and act like the relationship never happened? Or do you like hold on to those memories and just kind of have them look at you and feel like a loser every time? It's a dead relationship. What do you do with such a thing? Maybe a dead ministry. Maybe you had a calling in your life and you knew at a certain point in your life, God meant for you to do this, but now that thing's not on life support. It's completely dead. Maybe a career for you is dead. What is it? Everybody has a dead fill in the blank. What is your dead fill in the blank for Jairus? It was the dead girl. What is it that causes you and others to say, why bother? Is that what they said? They said, why bother? What is it in your life that causes you and causes other people to say, why bother? There is something that can happen in your heart, in your life, where you will say, why bother praying? Why bother worshiping? There is a heartache and a disappointment that can get a hold of you and say, why even bother going to church? And I want to tell you, way to go you, that if you have felt that and you've walked through it and yet here you are. Good for you. Good for you. There are people in this room, you've been, you know exactly what I'm talking about. But here you are. I'm so glad that you are here. I want to tell you, you, whoever you are that you're going through it right now, you are not the only person to ever go through it. That's why it's really good to have a relationship with other brothers and sisters. That's why that is so good. But do you have a line today? Now, I'm so glad that you love Jesus and trust in Jesus. But can I tell you something? I want you to receive this. I mean this in love. You probably still have a line. You love Jesus. Trust Jesus. You knew the, all the words to the worship songs tonight. You memorized uh, the, the scripture reading from 1 John. You, you, you memorized all that stuff. You, you've even said amen a few times. But you listen to me. You probably still have a line somewhere in your life. And I'm not throwing stones at you because me too on that. You may not realize it, but you probably have a line that says, if this tragedy ever happened to me, I might stop following Jesus. Y'all know what I'm talking about? You might have that thought in, my li in your life that said, if I lost this person in my life. For Jairus, it was the losing his daughter. Is, is there someone in your life that if you lost them, you would give up on Jesus? If that's true, you have a line. The disciple Peter was willing to swing a sword at a dude's head, right? Seemed pretty willing. But even Peter had a line that caused him to deny even knowing Jesus Christ. Peter had a line. Where is your line? You need to know where your line is. I had been saved for 14 years when I put down a mysterious line in my life. I had a line in my life. Just right there. You know what it's like to draw a line? You could do it in, in, a, in a 
little baseball fields when you're picking a team. You just somebody just would walk up and they just put a line right there, all right? And we're going to pick teams. Somebody get on a line. You just—it's real easy to draw a line. In fact, I, I can kind of see a line right now in this carpet. Do I see that? Look at that. Here's a line. I was saved for 14 years. God had done some amazing things in my life. I have testimonies that I tell from this period of life that were just so amazing. God was calling me into ministry about uh, those those years when I was about saved for 14 years. God, God started really called me into the ministry. And, and I remember saying to him that I would serve him as long as conditions were met. What does that sound like? That sounds like a line. I'm going to serve you, Lord, up until this point right here. So, you want me to preach? I need to preach on this side of the line. You want to be a missionary? Okay, but I got to be on this side of the line. You want me to witness to people? Okay, I'll do that. I'll be this side of the line. I will give in the offering as long as it's on this side of the line. I'll do anything for you, Lord, as long as it's on this side of the line. Are you following me? I'll do anything for you, Lord. But is that really true if you drew a line? Here's my, my two lines. Y'all want to hear my two lines? I don't go gossiping. Here they were, number one. This, is, this, this was in a Taco Cabana parking lot. Jeff, you know about that. Here it was. Number one, I literally told this. One of the best moments of my life, I still had a line. Told him, you can't let me live in poverty. That was the number one thing. I said, I'll live for you. I'll serve you. There's nothing I won't do for you. But you can't let me die on the street. I told him, which I thought sounded really reasonable. Number two, I told him this, and I was dead serious about this. In fact, this was a deal breaker. Somebody said, deal breaker. I said, you can't. Make me wait tables. At the moment, I was a waiter at a Chili's, and I hated it. I hated it. I just pictured myself living for the Lord, working really hard, but being a Chili's waiter for the rest of my life and said, God, I'm going to follow you unless, unless you're calling me to be a Chili's waiter for the rest of my life. Those are my lines. I told him those things. This is a moment where God just changed everything in my life. But I was like, I'll follow you except here. I had these two lines. In a moment where the almighty God was dealing with my life and the all-powerful God was calling my name, I decided I should barter and I should play a little quid pro quo, a little this for that. I'll do this for you if you make sure this happens. We'll We'll trade, God. I thought I should get some assurances. I put down these lines that said, I will serve you, Lord, as long as I don't have to cross these lines. If I must cross these lines, why bother? That bring us back to our story. Why bother? You see, your lines show you the part of your heart that is not surrendered to God. 
your lines that say, I'm, I'll, I'll follow you unless mm, that happens. That's the part of your life where you're not surrendered to Jesus. Your lines show you where you are unwilling. Your lines show you where you are untrusting. God, I will trust you as long as that's a line. Where is your line? Where is your line today that says, up to this point, I will serve you. But past this point, why bother? I'm telling you it is okay to know that you have that line. But I want you to know, Jesus deserves to be king, even of that area of your life. Will you learn to trust Jesus beyond your line? That's the real question. Do you know Jesus is not bound by your line? Y'all know that? It took me a while to realize that. Jesus is not bound by my line. You do not have to be bound by your line either. Now that one, that one even took longer for me to understand. Jesus and you don't have to be bound by such thoughts. Verse 36, overhearing what they said, Jesus told them, don't be afraid, just believe. Other voices are saying, why bother? And Jesus says what? Do not be afraid. Just believe. Jesus is saying this to you today. Cross your line of fear. Cross it through a thing called faith. And do it today. You can do it today. You don't have to wait any longer. You can do it today. Verse 37. He did not let anyone follow him. Except Peter, James, and John. The brother of James. Verse 38, when they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. The whole story, backstory to this, verse 39. He went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. Not dead, but asleep. It's interesting, right? Jesus is not bound by the line we call death. From the perspective of Jesus, death is not final. Death is just going to sleep to Jesus. From our perspective, death is a line that no one comes back from. Death is a why bother line. Yet Jesus is not bound by your line. What happens next is a line for many people. Throw it up there, verse 40. Read that out loud. But they laughed at him. That's a line for a lot of people. I'll follow you, Lord, as long as I don't look like you. Lord, if you ask me to go do something, they make fun of me, just get it. So many people, they've never shared their faith with anyone. Anyone. And it's because they have a line that they're all going to laugh at. But they laughed at who? They laughed at Jesus. Now these are the same people that are crying and wailing. They ought to be like, that's wonderful, Jesus. It's not. I want to tell you, what other people think and what other people say, those are lines. Don't let them bind you. Don't let them keep you from making Jesus Lord of these areas of your life. 
Some of us, can I talk a little bit about our lines? Will you let us a little bit? Can I be a pastor for a second? We, some of us have lines on our worship. You know, some people have picked up the TV hands. We'll just talk about lifting our hands. The Bible clearly says, you know, lift your hands to the Lord. I don't care how you do it, but some people are like, I don't want anybody to see me here. Like, they'll, they'll sit behind the chairs and like, nobody can actually, I'm lifting. Why are you they doing that? I don't know. Maybe they don't want to lift their hands. I don't know. But people are like, well, like this. Some people are like, I am not that. Because I'll look crazy. Call it what it is. That's a line. Some of you, you have felt like an exuberant joy, but you've actually swallowed it. Like, like a Dallas Cowboys actually won a game kind of joy. <laughs> Sorry, Ron, I couldn't help it. You know, like, whoa, like that kind of joy. And you're like, oh, I don't do that. Or maybe you felt uh, just a, a contrition that brought you to cry. And you felt something so emotional, but you squelched it. You know what that is? That is drawing a line. It's drawing a line. You can draw your line in worship all over the place. And listen, I don't mean to make anybody feel uncomfortable, but I can tell you, I want to just tell you this. Wherever your line is in worship, Jesus is worthy of more of it. We all, he's worthy beyond more than we've ever given him. And so let's push, let's push those lines back. Let's rip, rip those lines up a little bit. Go for it a little bit. Do you all understand that a little bit? Go for it a little bit. Surrender a little more. Close your eyes and just let Jesus have all of you. This is a part of my heart I've never given you before. Here it is, Lord Jesus. Remove that line in your worship. Remove that line in your worship. Some of us have lines on the altar. Some of us go, I don't even know what this is about. That's cool. That's all right. But some of us have a line that says, you know, if I go down to that altar, so-and-so is going to think I'm a sinner. Yeah. Guess what? You are. <laughs> there has never been a person down in this altar that's not a sinner. Do you know that? Because we are all sinners. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Thank you for listening to the sinner preach to you today, right? But we let what other people think. There are people that have never gotten baptized. They know they should get baptized. They see it in the Bible. They know it would be so God-honoring. They know that it would display the work that God has done in their life so much. But they're like, eh, I'm not going to do that. They drew that line. Are you willing to trust God even if you're laughing? Even if somebody thinks something about you? Are you willing to trust God enough to rip up a line today? I got to move on. Verse 40, but they laughed at him. Moving on, it says this, after he put them all out. So Jesus put all these laughers out. He took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. Verse 41, he took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha. Kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. So Jesus puts the scoffers out there. They were not willing to cross the line on this day. And Jesus 
remove them. There's a whole sermon here where the people in your life could be keeping you from receiving your miracle. Sometimes you got to remove people from your life and go cross a line. Moving on. Then Jesus went in with those who were willing to cross the line with him. Jesus went in with the mother and the father and three selected disciples. Jesus spoke to the dead girl. Jesus, for the second time that day, is coming into contact with something considered unclean. The woman, the little girl, is dead. The dead body is unclean. And supernaturally, the voice of Jesus crosses over the line of death and life. And the source of all life, Jesus Christ, reaches out and he grabs that little girl by the hand. Immediately, what happens? The girl stood up, verse 42, and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. I've always wondered, there's bookends to this story all over the place. There's dovetails that kind of meet in the middle. The woman was suffering for how many years? 12 years, and you have this girl. She's 12 years. At this, they were completely astonished. Verse 43, he gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this. He told them, give that girl something to eat. Amen. Mm. Praise the Lord. The sick and the dead. We have these two stories that are coming from different perspectives, right? The unclean outcast, not welcome. And the socially elite synagogue leaders, very different perspectives. Yet here they are in the same story right beside each other. Both the sick woman and Jairus are both facing disappointment. One has faced it for 12 years. One has experienced 12 years of joy. But now in this moment has a crippling disappointment. They're both facing disappointment. Both stories have these different uh, perspectives, but they both intersect at the same place. Where, where do they intersect? They intersect with Jesus. That's why it's such a wonderful story. In this story, Jesus heals a woman sick for 12 years. In this story, he raises a 12-year-old girl. The sick woman, what does she do? The woman crosses the line to touch Jesus. Goes past all the yelling and shouting in her mind that said, you better not do it. She goes ahead. She crosses the line with her hand. She touches Jesus Christ. And then Jesus, he does the opposite. Jesus crossed the line to touch the dead girl. You see that? The dead girl couldn't touch him, so he touches her. The woman who had faced so much disappointment, she reached out, touched Jesus, and everything changed. Jesus reached out to someone who was dead and unable to do anything about it. His touch changed that disappointing situation. Both disappointing situations are changed by the touch or the touching Jesus. I want to tell you very quickly that lines are not permanent. I look back on that time in my life where I put down such a silly line. 
said, God, I'll, I'll do anything as long as blah, blah, blah. Now I look at that and I go, are you serious? That is just really kind of embarrassing that I ever, that I ever said, God, I, I, won't, trust, I won't trust you unless so much money is in there. God, I've seen your faithfulness over the years. I've seen his love for me. I have been through situations where I had nothing in front of me, no career in front of me, nothing in front of me, and got a phone call that paid for the next semester of school. Oh, God, how, how come I put down that line? God, will you forgive me today? I'll put down that line. You don't have to worry about my finances. I'm going to serve you no matter what my finances look like. And what about that other one? What about chilies? Oh, God. God, you just say the word. I'll do anything. Wanted me to serve you by putting on that apron. Going back to the table of chilies. Of course I did. I removed that. Removed that. I'll remove that line. Whatever line you've got today, I want to tell you, lines are not permanent. Pick those lines up, and it's such a powerful thing to say, God, I'm so sorry for this line. Then cross that line. That's a new revelation for you. That's a new experience with the Lord. We're going to be coming to this altar. These altars are open right now. I really want to, if you want to reach across a line today, this altar is definitely open. For more information about redemption, look us up online at redemption-church.com. We want to hear from you, so be sure to connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or even our anonymous question text line at 214-856-0550. Thank you for joining us, and have a blessed day.